You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. And what's up, Houdat Nation? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints Podcast. It's your host, Chris Rosvoglu. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, at Rosvoglu Report. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to the Straight Up Saints podcast. Now, before I get into this upcoming breakdown for the Saints-Chargers game that will play on Monday Night Football, let's address what just happened on Thursday night between the Bucks and the Bears. Tom Brady, everyone's golden guy, you know, the, the man who everyone calls the GOAT. And look, I'm not here to argue that the man has an incredible resume. But guess what? He forgot what down it was on a clutch situation, a drive, a potential game-winning drive. For the Buccaneers, they end up losing to the Bears in a game that, in my opinion, they had to win. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Why? And it blew up on social media. People like me, people like any type of Saints fan who just loves to see Tom Brady lose, especially now that he's in the NFC South, were enjoying this moment. It was just a rare blunder to see a guy who has done so much and has had so much success. Forget what down it was. Like, that is a new low for a quarterback. And I'll tell you this, man. For the last couple weeks, we've had to hear bullshit about, hey, Drew Brees can't throw. He's got, he's got a noodle arm. He can't do this. He can't do that. And he's got limitations. I totally get that. I'll tell you what Drew Brees doesn't do. He doesn't forget what fucking down it is when it's the fourth quarter and the game is on the line. That's something he doesn't do. I'm not saying Tom Brady does this regularly. This is the first time I've ever seen it. Probably the last time I've ever seen it. But Drew Brees, if he made that mistake, they would crucify the guy on every TV show. I don't care if it's a herd. I don't care if it's undisputed. I don't care if it's get up, first take, whatever the hell you listen to. He would get absolutely crucified on this Friday morning. And instead, what is the narrative? Oh, well, it was a mistake. Oh, Bruce Arians has a sloppy culture. I don't give a shit what the hell Bruce Arians has. The reality is there are double standards with certain quarterbacks, especially when we talk about Tom. Now, before I get into the Chargers Saints injury report, my keys to the game and all that, I want to actually stick on this Buccaneers theme. And I know this isn't a Bucks podcast, but that loss was actually a huge one because I think now more than ever, the door is there. It's open. It's for the taking for the Saints to say, hey, this is still our division. And a lot of you are going to say, hey, Chris, it's one game. Let me break this down real quick and explain to you why I think that actually was a big game. For starters, I'm going to put it out there. I do think the Saints are going to win this upcoming game against the Chargers. I think the Saints are going to go 3-2 and two in the bye. This is something I've told you guys for the last week and a half now. I said the Saints were in an actual decent position at 1-2 and two to beat up on a Lions team that's not good, get some confidence, get a little bit healthier, beat the Chargers, and go into the bye saying we're 3-2, and two, we've survived an early rough patch, and now let's hit our stride. I think that's possible. I think that's all out there. For the Bucks right now, they already lost this week. Their game's over. They have to sit back and watch and root against the Saints and root against other NFC South teams. The Saints now, if they were to win on Monday, they would actually have the tiebreaker for first place in the NFC South through five weeks, which is way better than it looked like two weeks ago when they were struggling and they were one and two. But it's not just that. I want to talk about the schedule. The schedule for me is what's really important. So the Buccaneers, when they got to 3-1, and how did they get to 3-1? and They beat a Chargers team that I think the Saints can beat this upcoming weekend. They beat a, a Broncos team that is just flat-out depleted. That's the best way to put it right now. They don't have Drew Locke. They don't have Cortland Sutton. They don't have Von Miller. They're depleted. And who else did the Buccaneers beat? They beat a Panthers team who gave them a lot, actually. The Panthers were only down a touchdown till late in the game when Teddy Bridgewater made a mistake through a pick. They ended up scoring on that drive. So, really, that changed the game. But the Buccaneers, who they beat up, they beat up, in my opinion, 
bad football teams for the exception of the Panthers. I think the Panthers have proven right now that they are a competitive bunch. But the Chargers are 1-3. The Broncos are 1-3. And, and not only are they 1-3, they're teams with a young quarterback building an identity. And that is something for me that stands out. And I'm not saying the Buccaneers are fraudulent here. I'm saying the window, though, is open because... Who do the Buccaneers play next? The Buccaneers play the Packers coming off a bye with extra rest, with Rodgers looking good, Devontae Adams coming back. I think the Buccaneers are very much in danger of losing two straight games, and I think they will lose to the Packers, and that would drop them to 3-3. Three and three. Meanwhile, the Saints could be, judging off my projection here, 3-2 and two enjoying the bye week while the Buccaneers drop an extra game, and that would actually give the Saints some breathing room. But it doesn't stop there. After that Packers game, the Buccaneers have to travel to Las Vegas to play the Raiders on the road, a place where the Saints have lost. And I'm not saying that the Buccaneers are going to lose just because the Saints lost. I'm here to tell you that is not an easy game. So things change. It's the NFL. It's a week-to-week league. It's what have you done for me lately. And while the Buccaneers came out to a nice little hot start, 3-1, and one, with that one loss coming to the Saints, the schedule gets a lot harder. Where From the Saints' perspective, they are actually going to start having a little bit of a favorable schedule over the next couple of weeks. They have the Chargers. Then they have the Panthers out of the bye. Then they have a Bears team, which I know the Bears just beat the Buccaneers. But you cannot sit here, look me in the eyes, and tell me that 4-1 and one Bears team is a legit 4-1. and one. Sometimes numbers do lie, and their record does not indicate what type of team they are. For me, they're a 1-4 football team that has a 4-1 and one record. And you might say I'm crazy, but let me just break that down real quick. This Bears team barely beat the Giants. They beat them by 4. They should have lost to the Lions. DeAndre Swift dropped a game-winning touchdown with like six seconds left. They would have lost that game. They beat a Falcons team that was up 26-10 to 10 with like eight minutes left. Typical Falcons fashion where they blow a game that they should have won. That's right there, another one. And then last night, they were down for the majority of the game. They somehow got a lead going into halftime off just two good drives out of six of them. And then you look at the offense late in the game. It's not like they were spectacular. They just weren't as bad as the Buccaneers were yesterday. And that's why they won the football game. So for me, that Bears game is definitely favorable for the Saints. And then you do have an interesting matchup between the Saints and the Bucs Sunday Night Football, the second meeting. And we'll see what happens there. But there is legit potential where the Saints can be, in my opinion, 5-2 and two going into that game where the Bucs can actually be, believe it or not, can be a team that is 4-4. Four and four going into that game, and that really could be big because the Saints can almost put the nail in the coffin with a win in that scenario. And even after the Saints game, it doesn't get much easier for the Bucs. They have at Carolina, they have the Rams, they have the Chiefs. Those are not easy games, folks. So this is going to be a nail-biting finish for this NFC South, in my opinion. And if it does go in one team's direction, I would lean toward the Saints. Now, enough talking about the NFC. I don't want to hype you guys up about future matchups that aren't here yet. Let's talk about the current game on the schedule. Saint. Chargers should be a fun one. It's always fun for me when Drew Brees goes up against his former team. I don't know what it is. There's just a little bit of juice to those games. And we've seen 2012, he broke Johnny Unitas' record on Sunday Night Football. 2016, the Saints were down a good bit in that fourth quarter. And somehow, they came back and won that game. And I will always remember that game for two reasons. One, it was on my birthday. So for me, I thought that was my birthday present, that horrible Saints team somehow pulling out a comeback victory. And two... What I remember about that Saints game was about building the culture. It was a a late game Michael Thomas touchdown to really put them over the top. It was a nice defensive turnover late to help them out. Uh, You know, a fumble, I believe, by Travis Benjamin that I don't even know how the hell that still happened. But the Saints Chargers, when they get together, it is a fun game. It's entertaining. It's a little bit different this time around. And the reason being, Phillip Rivers is no longer there. And Drew Brees could say whatever he wants about what does and doesn't motivate him. There is no way 
that he plays the the Chargers and doesn't get motivated when he sees Phillip Rivers on the other sidelines because, hey, that's the guy that replaced him back when they were the San Diego Chargers. Now it's a little bit different. You got the young gun in Justin Herbert who has looked outstanding through three starts so far in his NFL career, and I'll break down him in a little bit because I think he is going to be a big key to this game, especially with that rocket of a right arm that he has. But it's really interesting. These are two of the more talented teams. I know when you think of the Chargers, you don't think of talent. The talent is there, folks. The injuries is what really hurts this team. I mean, this is a football team right now that is probably more banged up than the New Orleans Saints, believe it or not. They don't have Derwin James. He's been out for the whole season. They don't have Melvin Ingram right now. He is on IR. And they don't have Chris Harris either, who I believe is on IR as well. And he's one of the more uh, prolific nickel corners in the league. I mean, his resume is fantastic. Year to year, he's good. And he's someone Saints fans actually wanted the team to sign in the offseason. The Saints were a rumored destination. Chris Harris decided, hey, I'll stick on the West Coast. I'll stay in the AFC West. I'm going to sign with the Chargers. And he still can ball, but he's injured right now. So he will not be playing on Monday Night Football. So those are three big names I just gave you for the Chargers that are injured offensively, they might actually even be more banged up on that side of the football. No Austin Eckler. He's out four to six weeks with a hamstring injury, which occurred last week between the Bucs and the Chargers. That is a big loss because Austin Eckler is a shifty dude. And while I don't think he would have much success on the ground against the Saints because this Saints run defense has proven they don't give up 100-yard rushers. They are so stout in that department. Austin Eckler as a receiving back can give these Saints linebackers a a bit of trouble, especially ones that aren't named Demario Davis, but he's out. So that is a big loss for the Chargers, but the buck doesn't stop there. Mike Williams was on the the injury report for Wednesday's, uh, Thursday's practice, excuse me. He did not participate, a hamstring injury there. And then some offensive linemen still banged up, Trey Turner and Brian Bulaga. They both missed last weekend's uh, game for the Chargers. Well, guess what? They both missed practice on Thursday for the Chargers as well. Uh, Trey Turner with a groin injury and Bulaga with a back injury. If they can't go, you have a rookie quarterback against the Saints defense that is trying to have that get-right game, and this might be the one for them. They are trying to get there. If they don't have two of their starting five offensive linemen, that is a big loss, especially when you're trying to protect a rookie quarterback like Justin Herbert. But again, the buck doesn't stop there. You have guys like Joey Bosa who mispracticed. Now, in my opinion, I think Bosa's was more of a rest day. This is a guy who plays banged up all the time. I think he's going to go out there. He's going to produce like he always does. But it is worth noting he was on the injury report for Thursday. I do not have the Friday injury report at the moment. Obviously, when I get it, I will drop that on Twitter for everyone. But for now, this is what we got. As for the Saints, their injury report's long too. Look, it's not like they're out of the woods here. In terms of did not practice, you didn't have Deontay Harris. You didn't have Justin Hardy. You didn't have Janoris Jenkins. Jenkins dealing with a shoulder injury. Hardy dealing with a hamstring injury. And Deontay Harris also hurt his hamstring. I spoke to him. It seems more like a tweak, but my guess is he doesn't play with the bye week coming up. The Saints rest him. They did bring in Tommy Lee Lewis. I know, sigh, he's back again. But Tommy Lee Lewis is in the building, and he probably, in my opinion, will end up playing, and Deontay gets that extra week of rest with the bye week coming up. As for the limiteds, which is basically a lot of guys and a lot of big names here, it's Andrews Pete, uh, Jared Cook, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Davenport, Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore, Trey Hendrickson, and Malcolm Jenkins, all limited participants in practice you know some of the usuals you got Davenport with a toe injury Lattimore with the hammy Michael Thomas with the ankle Jared Cook with the groin injury 
Pete with the ankle injury. And then you got some new ones. Ram checked the concussion, which, look, the fact that he's already limited is a great sign for his status on Monday. Um, I think there would need to be a setback for him not to play against the Chargers. And then you got Malcolm Jenkins, who was thrown in there with a knee injury, which obviously isn't ideal, but again, he's a veteran. This could also be a load management situation where, yeah, his knee's banged up, but you also just put him limited. You don't put too much pressure on him for now because of his age, and you see what happens on Monday in terms of how he's feeling. Um, But this injury report, believe it or not, I I mean, I know I just listed so many names, and you guys are probably sitting there like, all right, where's the good news here, Chris? I actually think this is good for the Saints because, look, they were missing six important starters last week, but a lot of them also didn't practice, okay? And what I mean... Davenport, he didn't practice. Lattimore did not practice. Andrews Pete and Jared Cook did not practice. These guys are already practicing. It shows they're actually progressing. Now, Davenport, I don't want to get into that, guys. I don't want to get into that today. I feel like every podcast, there was some type of rant on Marcus Davenport. I am going to refrain from doing that for this episode. But for the fact that Cook, Pete, Lattimore, these guys are back at practice for me, that is really good. Um, I know I mentioned Hendrickson at practice, but I checked out his media availability. He looks good and sounds good and feels comfortable this probably is more of a monitoring that groin injury than anything else. I think he will play on Monday unless he suffers a setback in practice. Michael Thomas is obviously the big game. I know, I know. obviously, when you mention a Michael Thomas, it's a no-brainer in terms of, yeah, you know, if this guy plays, he's important. But it is really an interesting thing. What do the Saints do here? And the reason why I'm saying that is Devontae Adams was supposed to play last week for the Packers on Monday Night Football against the Falcons. Now, You don't need him against the Falcons. The Packers took care of business. All right. But Devontae Adams practiced, and the Packers said, hey, look, we got a bye week coming up. Why risk it? Sit him out. My question is, do the Saints do the same thing right now with Michael Thomas? Do they say, hey, look, can he play? Yes. Is it worth risking it because of re-injury? No. And I think that is something the Saints are going to have to decide here, which is why when I make my prediction and when I go down through my, you know, break down the key matchups, I'm not going to weigh this in all on whether or not Michael Thomas plays because I do think it's a bigger question mark than people think. I think if this was a playoff game, Michael Thomas would absolutely play. But I think that the fact that the Saints have the bye week looming on the other side, there's a legit decision to make here because it's almost like, hey, do we wait until the bye week and then he's back at 100% or do we trust what Michael says, let him play, hope he doesn't get injured, and then he still has the bye week anyway. That is obviously what you have to break down. And when you have a guy like him, who you pay a lot of money, you know what he's worth, you know what his value is to this team, those are not easy decisions to make, folks. And that's why I'm going to actually disregard that when I start breaking down this game. But anyway, we got through the injury reports. Two long ones. I mean, both teams are banged up. But again, these are talented rosters, and I think they'll both be able to put on good showings for Monday Night Football. So the keys to the game. What is going to decide this one? There's a couple. But let's start with one. And I want to talk about Justin Herbert. And... I was never a huge Justin Herbert fan coming out of the draft. I totally got the top 10 pick. Um, Talk about him. It wasn't like a Daniel Jones situation where this guy went six, and I was like, what do these scouts see that I don't see? I I saw something in Justin Herbert in terms of raw potential, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. I thought Justin Herbert was a guy who should sit the whole, whole year. Tyrod Taylor should play, and that's it. End of story. He'll play in 2021. But obviously, the whole Tyrod Taylor thing with the doctor screwing up and puncturing his lung, Herbert comes in. He has looked fantastic, guys. I'm being serious. He has looked really, really good. And what he's looked really good in are things that I didn't think he had in him. Completion percentage, looking really good. The amount of yards per game, looking really good. And yeah, he's thrown one pick in each game, but those are rookie mistakes. I think he'll be able to get past those as he gets older. 
But through three games, he is completing 72% of his passes. He has over 900 passing yards in three starts and five passing touchdowns. Those are really impressive numbers for me. I am not going to sit here and lie to you guys. I did not think Justin Herbert was going to be a guy that comes out of the gate and plays this well, but he has. And what really, really impressed me were the throws that he was making against the Buccaneers. I mean, I know the talk was all about Brady with his five touchdown passes that game, and I get it. He looked good. But man, he had some really, really nice throws. He had one to Jalen Guyton for 72 yards that really impressed me. And the one that impressed me the most, it was a 53-yard strike to Tyron Johnson. You're talking about making a 60 yards in terms of air yards, something that I know we talk about a lot with Drew Brees. You're talking about a ball that's traveling 60 yards through the air while there's pressure in your face, and it almost looks like Justin Herbert's on his back foot, and he still makes that throw. Those are the exciting ones that you say, hey, a lot of talent with this kid. And now here's the question. Can the New Orleans Saints stop Justin Herbert from having another big game? The Saints are actually historically known for letting rookies have their moment. I know we're all used to this by now, and that has been the talk on Twitter. I've seen a lot of people talk about it, and I actually think, though, there is some optimism, and the reason I say that is because last year, the Saints actually did a really good job in stopping Kyler Murray, who ended up ended up winning Rookie of the Year, excuse me, and Kyler, who is so dynamic with his speed, his ability to shift gears, He didn't have that against the Saints. It's almost like he couldn't go into second and third gear, and the Saints really did a good job. But what was the difference for me? That Saints defense was playing way better than it is right now. That Saints defense had a Cameron Jordan who was getting after the quarterback. It had a secondary that wasn't making silly mistakes. That's not the case for the Saints team. The Saints team is causing a lot of penalties in the back end. They're being really sloppy with their technique, and that is something that a guy like Justin Herbert can take advantage of if that continues. Okay, and and what's the main concern for this Saints team? It's the pass interference calls. Some of them unwarranted, some of them absolutely warranted. And if a guy like Herbert's going to air it out deep, what does it matter if the receiver catches it, if the ref's going to throw a flag, if it's P.I. anyway? It doesn't matter. So I think the Saints, defensively, this is one of the big keys. The secondary needs to have their head on a swivel, and they need to make sure that their technique is sound. And obviously, it would help if the Saints have Lattimore back I'm not going to get into this whole debate on whether or not he shows up for certain games. Having Lattimore back is a plus. You want him out there. You can only play so many games with P.J. Williams and Patrick Robinson as your starting corners. You need Lattimore back in there. That would help. So whether or not he's in, you need to have good technique. You need to avoid the sloppy penalties. That is key number one for me, and I think that's probably going to determine whether or not the Chargers stick around because I think the Saints offense is going to play well. I think this Chargers defense, because they are banged up, is susceptible to giving up a good amount of points per game. We just saw last week they gave up 38 to the Buccaneers. I think the Saints offense is going to have success. It's whether or not the defense can play good enough football where the Saints don't have to feel like they're in a shootout. That is the question. So that's a big one for me. Can you stop in terms of penalties and avoid the deep ball? You're going to give up one or two deep balls to to, uh, Justin Herbert. It is what it is. But can a guy like Marcus Williams have good coverage over the top to make Justin Herbert second, you know, have a second thought about whether or not he wants to uncork the deep ball from time to time? So that for me is an important key there. My second one, and this one I'm sure you guys are all going to agree with. And if you don't agree with it, whatever, you're probably just rooting for chaos here, but I'm pretty sure you will agree. Stick to the run. I know I say this every week, and some weeks it's it's just a moot point because it makes no sense because Sean doesn't listen half the time. Stick to the run. 19 carries for Alvin Kamara in week four, 14 carries for Latavius Murray. Run the football. The Saints actually ended up running the football about 40 times against the Detroit Lions. So they came out with purpose and they knew that they wanted to run the rock. 
Do that again. Because I actually talked about this with my friend Darian from the Point Blank Period podcast. I said, look, and he agreed with me, the Saints are running the football really well against the Chargers, uh, against the Packers, excuse me. You know, you had Murray with 12 carries for 58 yards. You had Alvin Kamara with six carries for 58 yards. So your average yard per carry is outstanding. And yet for some reason, they got a little too cute. They wanted to put Taysom Hill in there. We decided we're not going to run the football the right way. And what happens? You fumble. You start to unravel. You're not playing well. You lose momentum. You end up losing that game, which actually was a winnable game for the New Orleans Saints. So I think the Saints have to not get too cute. And this actually goes hand in hand with running the football. Run the football, but run the football with purpose. Don't run the football to give me that razzle-dazzle crap that is just going to wow me, but it's really only a three-yard gain. Run the football with purpose. Murray and Kamara have looked great to start this season. I'm going to unleash this take right now. I haven't put it on Twitter yet. I probably will on Monday night, but I'm going to put it out there. A lot of people, when the Saints signed Latavius Murray, were not happy. They wanted Mark Ingram back. I was one of those people who wanted Mark Ingram back, but I understand it's a business. You know, Murray costed less at the time. And the other thing was... It sounded like Ingram was asking for too much money. The Saints didn't want to play that game. So they signed they signed Murray instead. Through four games, guys, Latavius Murray right now looks a whole lot better than Mark Ingram. He looks more explosive on his carries. He looks like he's running way more, you know, way more efficient between the tackles than Mark Ingram. And I know Ingram's in terms of a timeshare with, with Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, but I think Murray looks better. And now the Saints just have to trust him. You don't have to run the ball with Murray 20 times a game. No one's asking for that. But make sure he gets his 12 to 15 carries on a weekly basis. If you could hit that 12 mark every single week, you're doing, in my opinion, at least doing the bare minimum, which is good enough, and just giving the football. He runs extremely hard. He runs with purpose. He's a tough back. Very rarely does Latavius run for no gain. It almost seems like it's a four-yard, a four-yard, a four-yard, an occasional eight-yard. He's always a shoestring tackle away from breaking off the big one, and even if he doesn't, he moves the chains, which is really important, and he keeps your defense off the field, which is also important for me. So I think don't abandon the run. Stick to it. Don't get too cute in the same way because at the same time, look, we all like Taysom. I'm not saying we're not here for Taysom. But sometimes you get too cute. There's no point in doing the read option. Just hand it off to Murray. Hand it off to Kamar. Let them do their thing. And that will definitely help the Saints. And this is my third one. And I think this is just as important as everything else. Just as important as not abandoning the run. Just as important as, you know, making sure you do not give up a bunch of deep balls against Justin Herbert's arm. Get Drew Brees in rhythm. I know it sounds so simple, but it's the truth. Get Drew Brees in rhythm. Do you know what the Saints did against the Lions? They got the man in rhythm. Do you know what they actually started to do towards the second half of that Packers game? They got him in rhythm. That's why we were all so frustrated with that damn uh, fumble by Taysom Hill. It was like Drew Brees was in rhythm. Let him cook. And over the last two games, I have noticed, and it is fascinating, that no one's been talking about this. And the reason they're not talking about it is it doesn't go with the narrative. But what was the narrative after the first two games of the season? Drew Brees' arm looked shot. He didn't look like normal Drew Brees. You know what scared me the most about that? Drew Brees only completed 60% of his passes in week one and 68 in week two. So that scared me. Well, what did he come back and do in week three and week four? Week three, granted, was not uncorking the ball deep. 81% of his passes were complete. 81%. That is a high number. Week four, what did he do? 76%. That is the Drew Brees that we all love and know. We don't need him to be throwing the football 30, 40, 50 yards down the field. I know I'm stretching with 50. Get my point just to listen. What you need him to be is Drew Brees, the elite decision maker, and Drew Brees, a guy who's not gun shy. That is the big thing. Drew Brees, double, you know, double clutching and not knowing where he wants to throw the football, that's not him. 
It's also not him to throw the ball 50 yards in the air. That's also not him. That's fine. But Drew Brees making back shoulder throws to Emmanuel Sanders, throwing deep crossing routes to Traquan Smith, not being afraid to throw it to an undrafted rookie in Marcus Callaway, that is the Drew Brees we've all known and loved because he is someone who is not afraid to make those quick snap decisions, and that's what makes him such an elite quarterback. It's being able to quickly pick apart a defense, and we've seen that over the last two weeks. He's starting to get into rhythm, and I always thought that was a thing with Drew Brees. I always said to people, don't beg for Jameis Winston so quickly. Do I think Jameis can find a way to you know, revitalize his career with the Saints? Absolutely. But guys, the, the best option is still Drew Brees right now. It, it, without a doubt, it's still Drew Brees, and it's because of the way he processes things. So I'm not surprised that a 41-year-old quarterback who didn't have a preseason, didn't have OTAs, took some time to get going. But now he is in rhythm. Continue to let him get into that rhythm and establish that groove. Let him hit Sanders. Let him hit Smith. Let him hit Jared Cook if he plays. Get him into rhythm where Drew just feels like, man, I am not going to throw a lot of incomplete passes today. And that's what he did. He only had six incomplete passes against the Lions. Let him establish that rhythm from the get-go. And if you do that, you're going to get an efficient Drew Brees for all four quarters. He's been a little sloppy on both primetime games with the Packers and the Raiders. I don't think that's going to be the case against the Chargers. I think Drew Brees is going to continue and build off that success he had against the Lions. I think the Saints are going to come out and play good football. It's all about can they play good defense while having the lead. I think this offense is going to put up 31 points for them. What does the defense give up? Can the defense hold the Chargers to 21-24 instead of giving them 28 and making this an, you know, a nail-biting shootout? That, for me, is the question. But I like the Saints for this game for a lot of reasons. I like Drew Brees and the way this offense looked in Week 4. I think the Saints have a, a plan in terms of running the football. And I think this Chargers team is equally banged up as the Saints, if not more. So while the Saints are getting a little bit healthier, the Chargers are getting a little bit weaker in terms of health. And I think that is something that will definitely play a factor. But most importantly, it's Drew Brees with the Saints in a must-win scenario where they can be the first-place team in the NFC South if they win this game. And they know that against a Chargers team, which... Look, I know they want to win. Every game is important, but they're more so about building the identity and developing their rookie quarterback. These are two teams on two different paths right now. One of them knows what's at stake. The other one is just learning and going through some growing pains. Give me the Saints for this game for all the reasons I listed below. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this game between the Saints and the Chargers. Do you have the Saints winning a second straight game and going to first place in the NFC South? Or are you a little nervous? Are you one of those people who says, hey, Justin Herbert scares me? I think he can put on a show. Which one are you in that department? Are you in terms of are you on the confidence side? Are you thinking, hey, Saints are going to win this game? Are you saying I think the Saints are in for a fight and they better be ready for it when they play the Chargers on Monday Night Football? But again, let me know what you think on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you guys listen to my podcast. Just let me know in the comments and I'll definitely get back to you there. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. I want to thank you guys so so much for listening to this episode. Have a fantastic weekend, folks. Uh, make sure you tune into the NFC games. Got some really good ones coming up this weekend, and that could actually have a big impact on the playoff picture. Every week matters. I know it's early, but every week really does matter that much. But thanks again, guys, for listening to the podcast. Stay tuned for more content on the Straight Up Saints podcast and YouTube page, and I'll hear more. You'll get more from me in a couple of days, but let's hope the Saints can beat the Chargers and improve to 3-2 and two on the young season.